Slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every, epi- every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original date. Air date. <laughs> it's like I've never said that before. <laughs> Actually, today, it is exactly 20 years later. I am not late. For possibly the first time in all of season seven, I'm not tardy. I'll hold for applause. Okay, thank you so much. (laughs) Okay, so this is, um, tonight we're going to talk about potential. According to the um, Nikki Stafford's episode guide, which I have not consulted in a while, but I'm back today for some reason on top of my game. (laughs) I have it in front of me. Uh, the synopsis is when the coven tells Buffy there's another potential in Sunnydale, Willow does the spell to find her and it points to Dawn. So there you go. (laughs) So this is the one where we get a little bit more of a focus on Dawn, a little bit of not necessarily character development of Dawn, but just reminding us how far she's come, you know? So we get this moment where, you know, Willow does the spell and the like glowy aura thing hits Dawn and it makes her glow for a second. So they think that she's the potential that's in Sunnydale. Um, And she has a little identity crisis. But let's recap. We've seen Dawn have a few identity crises and being that she's a teenager who found out that she wasn't real at one point, you know, these identity crises that she had were legit. And this time she's finding out she might be a potential slayer. And what does that mean? And she asks a lot of questions. So I just want to take a moment to appreciate, I mean, this whole episode is going to be me taking a moment to appreciate Dawn. Let's be real. (laughs) Um, I'm liking her more than I ever have, um, this time around watching season seven, which is so interesting. Anyway, um, let's recap. Remember whenever she found out she was a key, she sliced her arm open and she like ran off with Spike to like, or she was trying to escape and Spike found her and like escorted her so he could sort of protect her while she was going through her little, her identity crisis thing. She really freaked the fuck out and she almost got Anya killed that time that Anya's arm broke. Um, cause she was babysitting Dawn and somebody got into the house and it was Dawn's fault. I can't remember the exact circumstances, but in contrast to that, This time when she has the, um, you know, identity crisis, she's there with Xander, Willow, and Anya, and she takes the time to try to sort through her feelings with them. She's asking them questions. She's kind of pacing back and forth. She's clearly emotional about it, and she clearly needs time to process it, but she's trying to process it with them. And then she just sort of like runs up to her room and she ends up escaping and going out for a walk. And let's be real. That's exactly what Buffy would have done in a similar circumstance. If she was around a bunch of adults telling her that now she's the slayer, she would have escaped to go for a walk and process her thoughts. Exact same thing. So... It's, I don't think her like, you know, climbing out the window or anything like that was necessarily irresponsible of her or anything like that. I mean, everybody's talking about her when she leaves the room, like, you know, criticizing the way that she's handling this. And, you know, the only one that was on her side was Xander for some reason, like, you know, give her a minute, let her process this. Um, the only one being reasonable. And she's overhearing all of it and she's not overreacting to any of it. She can hear everything that they're saying. And Willow's being a bit of a bitch as well. And Anya kind of is too, but she's also just being Anya. Um, Just being her, you know, autistic blunt self. And yeah, I, 
I just think that the way that she's handling this is miles away from the way that she would have handled it even a year ago. She has matured so much. And I want to um, quote some of what Nikki Stafford says in her episode guide. Um, so this is going to be like a full paragraph and then a, a couple of sentences. So this is the full paragraph that I highlighted. This episode also explores Dawn's maturity. When faced with the unenviable knowledge that she is a potential slayer, she assumes Buffy won't be pleased and leaves to gather her thoughts. When she encounters danger, she uses her new position as a potential to step up and take charge of the situation. And when she makes a surprising discovery, she calmly steps back and never lets on how disappointed she is. Dawn has come a long way from the annoying adolescent she was in season five and the screechy, difficult teen she was in season six. Get out, get out, get out! That was actually in parentheses. She is a mature young woman, the same age as Buffy was in season one, but she is handling her problems with more grace and acceptance than her older sister did. So true, actually. Because if you flash all the way back to the end of season one of Buffy, when the Prophecy Girl episode, when, you know, we find out that there is a prophecy that, you know, the Slayer will die or whatever, and she does, the Master kills her. But when they first tell, when Giles and Angel, I believe, first tell her about the prophecy, she freaks out. She, like, throws things at them, unless I'm conflating that with a different confusing that with a different thing because I know she like throws something at Giles in helpless too so maybe I'm thinking of that but anyway she freaks out she screams she cries she says I quit I quit being a slayer you know because she doesn't want to die and she has that moment she's like Giles I don't want to die you know and this is the same age that Dawn is now. And this was a good year or so after she found out she was the Slayer. At that point. At that point, she has been the Slayer for a minute. And she still hasn't fully accepted her role yet. Which is natural. Which is understandable. If this were a real thing, being called as a Slayer. One girl in all the world. Blah, 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 blah. Can you imagine how much pressure, pressure that would be? It takes you a minute. And yeah, it's different to find out you're a potential, obviously, because you don't know if you're really going to become the Slayer. But, and Dawn has had, you know, much more priming for this, you know, growing up around this scenario. She already knows what this is. But we see her in the process of a few hours in an evening getting used to the idea, um, kind of coming into her role figuring out a way to accept it, um, sorting through her own identity crisis, and then realizing she was wrong. She's not actually a potential. And then she immediately, like, switches off, realizes this isn't my power after all, and, you know, hands over the torch, literally, because she's holding, like, a big stake at the time, hands the torch off to Amanda. It's pretty fucking badass and mature. I don't think I would be that mature if I found out I was a potential slayer today and I'm 40. You know? I, yeah. Anyway, another thing that was, this is just sort of like um, a note that was in the episode guide that I didn't know about. Um, so some, a quote from Jane Espenson, who is one of the main writers on Buffy, particularly the last few seasons. And she's the one that writes most of, like, the the nerdy shit. The Andrew stuff and um, Andrew, Jonathan, and Warren. She wrote a lot of their character stuff. Um, and talking about, like, conversations in the writer's room. Because it was never cleared up in the show itself whether that moment where Joyce visits Dawn in conversations with dead people, is that actually Joyce or is it the first? They never answer that question. And Jane Espenson says that um, she kind of like pussyfoots around it, like in the sense that like, I don't know if Joss agrees with this or not, but 
I believe that it was in what was intended was that that was not Joyce. That's the quote. I believe that what was intended was that that was not Joyce. It's a little bit of a weirdly worded sentence, but there you go. Direct quote. Um, so that's good to know. Uh, I do enjoy that bit of behind the scenes knowledge that I didn't have before today. So I thought I would share it just knowing that that's not supposed to be Joyce. That whole speech about like when it, when the moment comes, Buffy won't choose you. And looking at it in the context of if Dawn really were a potential slayer, Buffy won't choose you. I mean, I know Buffy doesn't get to do the choosing. It's sort of like the mystical slayer energy that does the choosing whenever one slayer dies. But it's just interesting to look at it in that context, maybe. I mean, but it's not really Joyce. So that's good to know. Okay, last little quote from the episode guide, and then I'll put it away. Finally, this episode is where Buffy's speeches begin to grate on the nerves. All this death is what a slayer breathes stuff, spoken with no emotion whatsoever, is incredibly pompous considering it's taken her seven years to get the same get to the same emotional state she needs the potentials to be in in a matter of weeks. So I thought that was a good point, and I completely agree with that statement. Okay, so... Yay for getting out the episode guide. I just, every time I do it, I'm like, why don't I do this every week? <laughs> because I'm not, I'm not consistent. <laughs> okay, so let's transition into my notes. Spike and Buffy training the newbies, which is kind of the through line of the episode, like throughout the episode, it's Spike and Buffy taking the potentials out to like train them in different scenarios or whatever. Which makes sense. So they're in the cemetery. Um, they're not fighting a vampire. Spike is just the stand-in for the vampire threat in this training scenario. And I think it's a little, I don't know, it's, it reads as a little creepy to me in this scene. You know, because he's... I don't know. It. it I just... Uh, I mean, it's... It's not super overt. It's it's probably me more than anything, just being sensitive. But um, also the whole, like, you know, the sexual tension between Buffy and Spike is still very much present. And they're emphasizing that in this episode, for sure. Um, um, what else? Oh, Rona makes a joke about, like... Um, Buffy asks the question, or Spike asks, okay, they're both dead, why? Or something like that, you know, during the training. And Rona's like, because the black chick always gets it first, or something like that. And so that was funny, because um, we actually have a black person. <laughs> I mean, I guess we also have the principal. It's like, wow, two whole black people in this show at the same time named characters they'll never talk to each other though so <laughs> anyway um where are we potentials have inherent abilities others don't so this is something that buffy is telling them so i think this is the first time this has been it's been sort of implied before um i don't think it really hit me until hearing it this time that um you know being potential slayers does give you some mystical strength or something. Um, not as much as the actual slayer, of course, but a little bit of extra strength. So that's good to know that. I mean, that makes sense. Um, my next note was Buffy versus Spike. Buffy, like she, they do a scenario where like it's Buffy versus Spike and Buffy ends up on top of Spike, of course, holding a stake to his chest and he seems to be in pain, um, and he says something about his ribs haven't fully healed from, you know, all the torture that she just saved him from the last episode, which could have been, like, the night before at this point. I don't know. Um, I just watched that episode, like, three days ago, so it's very fresh to me. <laughs> but anyway, Buffy, like, she starts kind of, like, momming him for a second, like, oh my god, well, no, let me look, and she starts pulling his shirt up, which is a bit invasive, A, B, like, it's in front of all the potentials, like, 
Buffy just like forgets herself for a second and she is completely focused on Spike and she's preoccupied with him at the moment. And it's, it bugs me a little bit just from a character development perspective. I mean, like I get that she's like, you know, super flattered by the fact that he got his soul for her and that, and that's a big deal. You know, I'd be preoccupied with that too. And that she is attracted to him. I get that too. But I just, it feels like kind of a backtrack to me because the whole arc of season six was like everybody being super self-destructive. And then by the end of the season, they are coming back to themselves and they are learning from their self-destructive behaviors and they are taking steps towards sobriety slash, um, mental health, all of that stuff. And the thing for Buffy, the big development for Buffy was walking away from Spike because it was a terrible, abusive relationship. She walked away from him when she realized that she was using him and that she was using him to feel something and that, you know, it wasn't a healthy relationship for her. She left him in order to regain mental health for herself. She set that boundary and that was a big step for her. But just, I, you know, I'm okay with, you know, the fact that like eventually at the end of the season, we're going to get that beautiful speech from Spike about what an incredible woman Buffy is and blah, blah, blah. And they're going to cuddle all night or whatever. And I'm really happy they never had them like have sex again or anything like that during the show, because I don't think, I don't think that would have been earned at least at this point, maybe if the show had gone on for another few seasons and they kept developing that relationship, you could have possibly storyline wise come back from the attempted rape at some point enough to where they could be sexually intimate again. Maybe. I mean, it does happen in the comics, but, but at this point, Buffy being so I'm just like, she's the anti-MVP of this episode. I'm just so disappointed in her right now. You know, this whole episode, and we're going to see this general attitude continuing with Buffy, where she's spending all of her time making these grandiose speeches and paying attention to the, paying attention to the potentials. She's just, she's so self-involved. All she cares about is Slayer shit and her own shit. And that's it. She's not paying any attention to Dawn, who is like one of the only people in this universe that she actually truly loves. She's not paying any attention to her. She doesn't even notice that Dawn is feeling left out, which we see in this episode. And Dawn's not like advertising it. She's not being like super immature about it. Like we've seen her be in the past. She's not being obvious like she has been in the past. But still, when you're, you know, someone's older sister and you love them a lot and they have this great, you know, connection between the two of them that was like really important, important enough that Buffy wasn't willing to sacrifice Dawn to save the entire world. You know, I, I just, I don't like this because it's, it seems to me, and again, we'll get this, this will come up again later. Like, at one point, Dawn says, after she's just found out that she, she thinks she's a potential, she says, oh, like something about like Buffy doesn't have her phone with her, so they can't call her and tell her that Dawn's the one that's the potential. Um, and Dawn's like, and they, you know, she doesn't have her phone with her. And Dawn's like, yeah, because all the important people are with her, meaning Spike and all the potentials. And that leaves out the actual people that know and love Buffy. Dawn, Willow, and Xander. Those should be the important people to Buffy, but it's, I don't, I just don't like the way that they've written her into this corner at this point of like, just being this almighty slayer that all she cares about is, I mean, I get that she's preoccupied with protecting the Slayer line and like, you know, the big evil that they're up against and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, that makes sense. But she really isn't taking care of any of the other emotional relationships in her life. 
except Spike. She has time for him. You know, um, it's, I just, I just feel like it's taking a step back for her character. Like she took a step towards mental health at the end of season six, but now she's just kind of, I don't know, stagnant or taking a step back again or something. Cause she's back to not paying attention to anyone else's emotions around her. And this is like, I mean, if you really think about how Buffy started out when we first met her, when she was 15, she was a more empathetic person. Like she was tuned into the feelings and emotions of people around her to a certain degree. Like she was still self-centered. She's a fucking chosen one. Of course she is, but they have just really pushed her to the other side of that. of just being so fucking self-involved. It's just, it's annoying. And I know that's like, that's the character arc that she's building towards in this season. She just gets more and more and more self-centered and more and more and more preachy and like superiority complex shit and all of that stuff. They set that up towards the beginning of the season with conversations with dead people that she has a superiority complex and we see that. And we see her slam a door in Giles's face in a few episodes. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't like that that's the taste that they leave in our mouths about Buffy at the very end of the show. And they don't do a very good job. I mean, I'm getting way ahead of myself, right? But they don't do a great job. There's that whole moment where everybody sort of like votes her out of the Slayer Club and they have, um, faith take over as the leader of everybody. Um, they don't really earn her re-entry, you know, it's just sort of like, okay, she had to spend a night out on her ass, but now she's back because they need her. Great. Like, does she have a big realization moment? Does she apologize to everyone? Does she act like a human being? I don't know. I just remember her also just being so cold after Xander gets his eye poked out. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> Going down a whole tangent that has nothing to do with this episode. Okay, cool. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, I mean, it does have something to do with this episode because segue into the next note that I have here is Buffy's death speech. She's like making this whole speech in the basement. Literally, Buffy is standing and the staircase to the basement is behind her and she, her and her speech is literally eclipsing Dawn. You can't even see that she's on the stairs until Buffy sort of steps aside at the end of the scene. Um, I mean, you know, she's there because you see her throughout the scene, but like she's being eclipsed by her older sister. I don't think that that shot was an accident, you know? Anyway, so she's making like this big speech to the to the potentials about like, you know, death is what you breathe as a slayer and blah, 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 blah. And it's, I don't know, just like her way of training the slayers. Like she shouldn't be training the slayers necessarily anyways. Um, maybe Giles should be kind of heading that up a little bit more. I mean, I guess he's out of town right now. He went to go pick up another potential who was in China. Happy Lunar New Year, by the way. Um, we have now entered, I don't even know, I need to look it up. We just entered Year of the Rabbit. Yay. As of today, our 20 years later date, um, the day that potential aired 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I'm making that sound so confusing. January 21st, 2023, Year of the Rabbit. Happy Lunar New Year. Okay, cool. <laughs> I also just found it annoying. This is just a stupid thing, but Buffy calls the Turakhan the Shaka Khan in this scene, which would be a cute joke if, like, we hadn't heard her call this vampire the Turakhan a bunch of times. She knows what it's fucking called. I don't know. I just didn't. That. I feel like maybe they wrote that joke for her to say a few episodes ago and they forgot to include it. So they just threw it in here and it doesn't make sense now because she knows it's called the Turakhan anyway. And then Dawn like corrects her and Buffy acts as if she hasn't even heard her, you know, like she's not even hearing Dawn. She's not even like, 
she turns around at the end of the speech and goes up the stairs like don you're gonna be late for school but if she hadn't seen her there it's like she wouldn't have even like remembered that don was there you know she's not she's totally like switched off her like super protective older sister mode and now she just like is forgetting that don exists i don't know it's just bugging me anyway um, my next note, how can Buffy be so oblivious to Dawn's pain? Um, then we get this conversation. Buffy's at work. She's having a conversation with Xander on the phone. Uh, why is this even here? They should have cut this. It's stupid. And it's just like, I just feel like this is some shit that Joss insisted be there because Xander is the Joss surrogate character. Like, so Buffy's having the conversation with Xander on the phone. Uh, I guess he's just showered at the house and some of the girls came in the room or something. I don't know. Cause she's just like, well, maybe if you're going to shower at our house, you need to lock the door, Xander. Well, of course they're curious. And I'm just like, why is this in here? This is stupid. Anyway. Um, then we get the introduction of Amanda's character. She comes in to talk to Buffy while she's at, um, work and her guidance counselor, <laughs> again, on guidance counselor watch, is this the last time we will see her as a guidance counselor? <laughs> but Amanda comes in and she starts talking about, like, she thinks she's weird. She thinks she's different. Like, there's this kid that picks on her and she is into him and, like, Buffy, as per usual, completely over-identifies and makes it all about herself. Worst guidance counselor ever. Um, and it's sort of a Buffy doth, Buffy doth protesteth too much, where she starts talking about, like, antagonistic relationships, because um, she's responding to what Amanda's going through, but she is relating it to herself and Spike. And how it's confusing. And, like, it's definitely over. It's definitely, definitely over. <sighs> Whatever. Anyway. And this is where my mom is saying, because she loves him. <laughs> anyway. No, she doesn't. She doesn't love him. She can't love him. And it's because Buffy's fucking heartless at this point in her life. She really, truly needs to take some time off. And, uh, you know just regain her soul. She needs to get her own soul back. She needs to go on a soul journey <laughs> because she is not in a good place right now emotionally. She's just empty inside. <laughs> I'm mad at Buffy right now. Um, Buffy comes home from work and everybody's like yelling at each other about something. I don't know. Everybody's arguing. It's like Xander and all the potentials and they're just screaming at each other. And Andrew's there too. And he's like, why do we always have to yell? <laughs> just love Andrew so much. Andrew's bringing me so much joy in these episodes for sure. Um, this is where Willow comes in and she says that she has talked to um, the coven on the phone. The, you know, the England coven. <laughs> the Giles coven. <laughs> Too bad we never get to meet these people. They sound cool. Um, I'd love a little side quest with the, you know, the London Coven or whatever it is. Um, so Willow says that there's another potential in town. And I just have, you know, just a little nitpick. Just a little nitpick. That's what you're here for. That's what these podcasts are for. People analyzing television shows is just to hear someone's list of nitpicks about things that they love, right? So here's my nitpick. If there were a potential slayer... In Sunnydale, the place where the first has, like, set up their headquarters because it's on a hellmouth, wouldn't the bringers have taken out this potential, like, I don't know, two months ago? <laughs> like, it's not like this person just became a potential. Like, do you get called as a potential? I don't know, maybe, you know, just for the sake of argument maybe you do get called as a potential. Like, you have to hit your 15th birthday or something. <laughs> because it seems like most of these girls are saying that they're 15. Except Kennedy. Like, they haven't actually said how old Kennedy is, but they've implied that she is a bit older than the rest of them. Amanda seems like 12. <laughs> but I should look and see who this actor 
um, let's see, it'll say in the episode guide what her name is, and then I can look her up and see. She's probably playing someone way younger than herself, because, you know, that's how that shit works. Um, where is it? Guest cast, James Derrick. What? No, guest cast, Amanda. What about Amanda? Sarah Hagen. Okay, let me look her up. Okay, so she would have been actually... At the time of filming this, she would have been, like, 18. So, she's not playing that much younger, I guess. Because um, she was born in 84. Um, okay, let's see. Where are we? <laughs> There's this funny little moment where Buffy is... They're, like, discussing Andrew and, you know, whether or not he's evil. And Buffy says... He's not evil, but when he gets close to it, he picks up its flavor like a mushroom or something. <laughs> Which is just a perfect description. Oh, my God. Um, glowy thing hits Dawn. Dawn has a mini identity crisis. Willow is an ass about it. Anya, too. Um, Willow says something about, you know, it makes sense whenever they think that Dawn is the potential it makes sense. Remember that thing that they like share the same blood or whatever. And Anya's like, yeah, I never got that. <laughs> I love that because it is a little weird and confusing. Like I, I think it's supposed to be, you know, whenever the monks created Dawn out of, they created Dawn out of Buffy's blood, I think some kind of mystical, whatever. Um, so I think it's supposed to be sort of like a Bible allegory, you know, how like Eve was created out of Adam's rib or whatever. I think it's supposed to be something like that. But Anya at some point says, I just love this. She, you know, they're all trying to like help Dawn like assimilate this information, you know, and Anya keeps explaining it in like the worst possible ways, of course, because she's Anya. And she says, it's like you're a part of something larger, like being swallowed by something larger. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it so much. Anya and Andrew, MVPs of my heart forever. Uh, they're like top MVPs of the season. I mean, Dawn is literally getting MVP almost every episode, but um, I still, you know, just any comic relief in this super serious nonsense of a show. <laughs> and that's what Andrew and, Andrew and Anya are, you know? Um, okay, Andrew. There's a quote from Andrew. He says something. I just think it's actually pretty sweet. You know, they're, they're all talking to Don about this whole situation. And he says, it's almost like this metaphor for womanhood, isn't it? Um, a girl realizes she's part of a fertile heritage stre stretching back to Eve and, and then Xander interrupts him and says some dismissive bullshit and shuts him up. Like, that's what everything is right now. Like, Andrew actually just, like, saying insightful shit, funny shit, interesting shit, vulnerable shit, and everybody's constantly just, like, rolling their eyes at him and shutting him down, which, whatever. Um... Andrew should get more respect. I mean, I know he, he killed Jonathan, you know, like that's pretty shitty. We've known Jonathan since the very beginning. I mean, maybe he didn't show up till season two, but we've, he's been like sort of a background character since almost the very beginning of Buffy. So we should really be more mad at him that he killed Andrew, right? But he's just so damn charming. Um, okay. What else? Um... Buffy and Spike take the potentials to a demon bar, which I'm kind of like, why? Why would they be taking them to a demon bar? And Buffy explains that, like, you know, if you're going to a place like this, you're going because you need to beat someone up for information and blah, 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 which fine, I guess. But that's if, if you are a slayer that lives in Sunnydale. Like, do you really need to tell some? Do you really need to teach someone that they need to go beat up someone for information in a demon bar? I mean, they don't know if, like, they're about to have a whole fucking apocalypse. They're not going to be thinking about something as, like, as tiny of a detail, as nuanced as, well, we need to show the potentials that they might sometimes need to go to a demon bar. Like, why? They could be putting them in danger by taking them to a demon bar right now. It's stupid. But anyway, it's just an excuse 
to have like a couple of jokes about being in a demon bar and to see Clem because we haven't seen Clem in a while and he sees Buffy and he gives her a hug and it's just a cute moment um back at the house this is where Dawn sneaks out and goes for a walk runs into Amanda Amanda starts talking about like she's seen a vampire at the school and she trapped the vampire in a room and she had come to get Buffy and um and Dawn's like well Buffy's out I got this let's go She's, you know, thinking right now, like, this is a way that I can deal with my identity crisis of just finding out that I'm a potential. I can, I can actually go help her right now. And it's nice. It's a moment of like, you know, Dawn facing her fear. She's going to face a vampire alone. I mean, with Amanda, but basically alone. She's going to face a vampire on her own. She's never done that before. She is striking out on her own, doing something without Buffy's protection. And as overprotective as Buffy has been in the past, you know, this is a big moment. Whenever you've been that overprotected by someone, you know, striking out on your own and deciding to do something without their protection, it's a big moment. I just, you know, let's give give Dawn a little credit. (laughs) It's like my whole, my whole thing this season is just being super nice to Dawn. Um, let's see. Oh, Amanda mentions like, cause she was talking about coming to Buffy and Dawn's like, you know about my sister? And Amanda says, well, I mean, people talk. I mean, a lot of people think she's some kind of high functioning schizophrenic, which I don't know if this is supposed to be a callback to the normal again episode where she was schizophrenic and hallucinating the whole being a slayer thing, you know, all that. It might be a callback to that, or it might just be, you know, I mean, that is something that people might say about a person like Buffy in the real world. Um, and you can be a high functioning schizophrenic. If you have schizophrenia, you can be on medication and be totally functioning quote-unquote adult in our society it's I do think it's I mean you know I'm not really critiquing the show for this This is fucking 2003 but it's definitely pretty ableist to say things like to refer to other people as high functioning or low functioning that being said I am autistic and I refer to myself as low functioning, but I would never refer to someone else as high or low functioning. You know, it's just, it's just insulting because even if you're calling someone high functioning, it means you're putting everybody else in the low functioning category. And it's just, it's just shitty. So, you know, don't do it. You're probably not, but in case you were, just stop doing it. Okay. All right. Um, Dawn goes into the school with Amanda. Um, And this is just, you know, Dawn has really quick instincts. You know, she's using, like, we have this whole juxtaposition where, like, we're flashing back and forth between the scene of Dawn and Amanda in the school fighting one vampire and um, Buffy and Spike have taken all the potentials, like, after the demon bar, I guess, they go to a crypt and there's a vampire in the crypt. And so they're... Buffy ends up, Buffy and Spike end up locking all the potentials in the crypt alone with the vampire, which a little risky, I think. I mean, I guess Buffy really had the confidence that they would be fine or that she would know if they're not fine and she would rush in and save them, I guess. But um, she's really taken a chance there, I think. But she... um, so it's, it's, we're flashing back and forth between the scenes of the potentials locked in the crypt with the vamp, the one vampire. So it's all four potentials. So it's Kennedy, Kennedy, Rona, and the other two. I can't remember their names. I don't know if we've learned them. And then Amanda and Dawn versus the one vampire in the school. And then the bringers show up at the school. So we're getting like... Dawn is, they're in the, like, science lab. And Dawn is, like, you know, turning the gas on and throwing beakers at him and 
you know, getting stools in the way and she is using her environment while Buffy is having, is doing this whole speech about know your environment, know what's around you, blah, 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 which, you know, is good advice. Um, at this point, she's not actually doing one of her annoying speeches. She's, you know, saying some truth. Um, but at the same time that she's saying all of this stuff, Dawn is enacting it on her own, you know, and Amanda's just basically cowering in the corner, like scared. So Dawn's doing almost everything herself. Then the bringers show up and the bringers grab Amanda. And that's the first indication, I think, to Dawn. I think she realizes it just like immediately whenever the bringers grab Amanda, like, you don't want her, you want me. And then she's like, oh, okay. Okay. It's not me. It's not me. And maybe she doesn't completely realize it in that moment, but it's clenched afterwards. So they're fighting the bringers. Buffy and Spike show up at the school. I don't know how, because they didn't know where Dawn was, but I guess, whatever. They show up at the school. Nobody knows where Dawn is, so it doesn't really make sense that they would show up, but they do. And so it all happens really quickly that, like, Amanda shows up and she talks about, like, you know, uh, well, okay, I guess, no, yeah, Dawn did realize it before this moment because she hands, she just, like, gives, like, this little speech to Amanda about, like, you know, the power is yours. And she hands him, she hands her the steak that she had made from like breaking a flagpole and, you know, using her environment. Um, and they haven't killed the vamp yet. And she just hands the, hands the steak over, like literally Ace of Wands moment, hands the steak over to Amanda. And she's like, it's your power. Here you go. That kind of thing. And then Amanda immediately like, is like, oh, okay. She goes from like cowering, scared, not really, you know, <laughs> not really in her power at all to immediately starts fighting and then stakes the vampire, which I find that a little hard to believe. I think Dawn should have had, I mean, I get the whole passing the torch thing. I get that whole situation. But it just feels a little forced. I feel like Dawn could have been the one to stake the vampire and she could have still given that speech to Amanda, but whatever. That's not what happened. Um, and then Amanda describes the whole situation of like, you know, her seeing this vampire, going to Buffy, getting hit by this glowy thing. So we find out that she was at the door when the spell when Willow did the spell and it hit Dawn because it was trying to get to Amanda, I guess. But it like hit Dawn's sacral chakra and then uh, she glowed. It was unmistakably in Dawn, you know, the golden aura in Dawn. But whatever, again... I mean, I get why they didn't decide to do the cliche thing of making Dawn the potential, because that would have been pretty cliche for the show to do in general. But it would have made sense. I would have gone along with it if they decided to do that. But so I'm kind of glad they didn't, you know. Anyway, where are we? Um, oh, like I'm kind of... Um, I've kind of got ahead of myself, but like there was this moment where like Buffy describes Spike's crypt that he used to have as comfy and Kennedy's like, wait, when did you find it comfy? <laughs> Which, yeah. Um, yeah. When did you find it comfy, Buffy? Hmm. Um, there's this whole moment where like Buffy refers to the body that they find in the crypt which eventually resurrects as a vampire and then they fight, she refers to it as leftovers. She says, it's not a body, it's leftovers. And I'm just a little confused by this because like, okay, so when you're a vampire in this show, you fully, it, it is intentional, intentional, it's intentional. 
you have to, and it's even established in this episode, reestablished in this episode, you have to like drink deep of their blood. It's like a an exchange situation. You don't become a vampire unless there's an exchange of blood between you and the vampire. Um, that's the only way you become a vampire. So a vampire turns you on purpose. It's It can't be an accident. A, and you die. Like a lot of the time, like a vampire has to crawl out of their own coffin out of their own grave. Like they've gone through a funeral, they've been dead for enough days that they've had a funeral, been buried, and then they reawaken as a vampire. So why would Buffy then refer to this? She literally says, it's not a body, it's leftovers. Why would she refer to a... So this person ended up being a vampire, which means it would have been dead in this moment. So why would she say it's not a body when it was dead. You know, I just, I, does that make sense? I feel like I'm not explaining it well, but whatever. It's just another nitpick. Let's move on. <laughs> Dawn handing the torch stake to Amanda. I was getting a lot of like different tarot card vibes, like Ace of Wands to me is always the chosen one card because it's literally like a hand holding a wand, a stake, a piece of wood. And we definitely get that moment when Dawn hands the stake to Amanda. But then I feel like we also, in that same moment, as soon as she takes the stake, she becomes seven of wands. It's because she's standing at the top of a staircase and she's holding this really big wand. So she has the high ground, you know? And I feel like there were other moments of like seven of wands in this um, episode. I don't know. Just getting some tarot vibes in this episode of Buffy. Um, where are we? Dawn and Xander's speech. Okay, so that's pretty much the end of the episode. So we get like the morning after, like Buffy doesn't even know that there was a moment where Dawn thought she was a potential I don't think anyone ever tells her. And Dawn doesn't tell her either. Dawn doesn't really trust her right now because of that whole joy situation and probably also because of how Buffy's been acting. Um, so we get like an exchange with Buffy and Dawn. Like Dawn basically just says like she's going to do some research, blah, blah, blah. And Buffy's like, sure, cool, whatever. Like, she doesn't give a shit what Dawn's doing because Dawn's not important to her anymore. Anyway, I won't go into that again. But then she sits down at a little table like she's doing some research and Xander comes up and he has his little speech. And this is ex an extremely memorable moment of Buffy. Like, I never forgot this moment. It was significant to me from the jump the first time I saw it. And it is significant. You know, it's the whole idea of the underdog, because in this show, we do have all these supernatural characters. Like there's Buffy, she's the Slayer. There's Willow, she's like the most powerful witch of all time. There's Tara, who was also a witch. There's Oz, who was a werewolf. Um, there's Anya, who's a demon. You know, everybody has special powers except Xander and Dawn. And Andrew, too, I guess. But, you know, he's not really a part of the group yet. But so I think that this is, you know, a nice moment. Like, really, the only thing about this entire moment of Xander, you know, saying that he sees her and all of that stuff. Um, and he sees her, he notices her, she's extraordinary, all that stuff. It's really sweet. Um, and the only part that bugs me is that Dawn at one point refers to Xander's army training, which, forgive me if I'm wrong, but he didn't have army training. He just accidentally became, he accidentally got imbued with all of the army knowledge downloaded into his brain that first Halloween that we ever saw in season two when he became his costume. That's it. He just has memories of being a really in the army, but he didn't actually have army training. Anyway, that aside, Dawn refers to it as sexy army training. Sexy? 
gross. I mean, nothing about this exchange is creepy or predatory in any way. But the addition of the word sexy and the knowledge that I personally have of the fact that Dawn and Xander have a relationship in the comics, like an actual romantic relationship. I mean, they're both like in their 20s at the point that they embark upon a relationship because, you know, at this point, Dawn is 15 and Xander's like 22, maybe. So conceivably, when he's 29, she would be 22. So not that huge of a difference, but just the fact that like, I feel like it's predatory and creepy. If you know a person since they were like a preteen or in Xander's memory, like, okay, he's known Dawn for seven years in his memory, of course, not in reality, but in his memory, he's known Dawn for seven years at this point, which means he's known her since she was eight motherfucking years old. How can you ever be attracted to someone when you knew them when they were eight and you were already post-puberty? I don't know. Like that just grosses me out. But anyway, there's nothing predatory or creepy about this exchange. It's just me knowing that they eventually have a relationship. And I'm just realizing that you possibly didn't know that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I just did that to you. But you can forget that it ever happened. You can forget. Don't read the comics. I mean... Truly, I own them all because I was, like, subscribed to them to get them in the mail from the very beginning. And I might revisit them for the sake of this podcast. But I don't think they're actually good. But also, I'm not the person to judge a comic book because I don't... I'm not good at reading comics. I think I've talked about that before, so I will just move on. Okay, let's focus on the actual speech because it's not actually predatory. It's sweet. It's sweet. So Xander says to Dawn, they'll never know how hard it is to be the one who isn't chosen, to live so near to the spotlight and never step in it. I see more than anybody realizes because nobody's watching me. And it's just a good moment, you know? Um... Dawn really needed that. She needed to be seen. She's been ignored for a while and she needed to be seen. So it was nice that it happened. I mean, and this is Xander's full character arc at this point. We have seen Xander's fullest self-actualization. This is the moment. We have seen him go from being, you know, immature, rapey, gross teenage boy to this, this moment where he is giving someone the validation that they need and he's being empathetic and an adult and emotionally um, intelligent. This is Xander's best moment right here. It will never get better than this. And I mean, we've seen him like a handful of times at this point, really being the emotionally intelligent guy, talking sense into somebody, you know, we saw at that time at the end of season, or I guess it wasn't the end of season five. It was in the middle somewhere when he was, he like stopped Buffy whenever she was almost going to let Riley go. Um, and she, I mean, she didn't get there in time, so she did let him go, but whenever he stopped her and talked sense into her, <laughs> we saw it at that moment and we've seen it maybe a couple other times too, but this is his biggest, most emotionally mature moment right here. This is it. And I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to just, you know. Because in my mind, I personally want to forget all the details about the comics. Because <laughs> there's some bullshit in the comics, guys. There really is. Which, 
understandable. That's what comics are for. They're for like absolute nonsense because you can draw anything. You can make it absolute nonsense. And entertainment is supposed to be fun, right? Like we're not supposed to take it so seriously. <laughs> so let's just leave it at that. Let's, so that's the episode. So we will be back to talk about, what's the next episode called? The Killer in Me. So two weeks from today. Wow, they're really, that's, that's when Buffy, or that's when Willow and Kennedy start making out and shit. Um, cool. <laughs> I don't know if I'm emotionally ready for that episode. Not because like Willow and Kennedy, but because of like the whole you know, having to see Willow. I don't know. Like, I just, I don't think Alison Hannigan is the best actor. Like her way of doing, like, she can cry. She can be vulnerable and cry on a dime. She is great at that. But the whole, I feel like her entire, like, acting chops for like an emotionally charged situation or even explaining like a longer, you know, a longer thing of dialogue. She just does a lot of like, she stops every couple of words and takes a deep breath. So she just like sounds really out of breath. Like every time she says anything, <laughs> anytime she has any like exposition or a longer chunk of dialogue, it's just like, it's just like, you know, I, and then I, and, and then you, and it's like, wow, calm down. <laughs> I just, I'm so annoyed by Willow just in general. And unfortunately, I think some of that is Alison Hannigan. And I have no doubt that she's great in like other types of roles. I mean, this probably would have been like her first or almost her first role, right? So like, I'm not trying to judge her based on this solely, but yeah. Anyway, I'm not really into like a Willow-centric episode is the point. But hey maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe I'll like it more than I think. Ratings. Object of the episode. Hmm, let me think. Let me think. Object of the episode. I don't really want this because I don't actually have room for it, but <laughs> um, Dawn's glitter lamp that she has in her bedroom. Right now I have two lava lamps and they're both working very well because now I know how to use lava lamps. <laughs> I didn't used to know when I would fuck them up. Um, I mean, the basic gist is when you turn a lava lamp on, you need to be ready for it to be on for at least six to eight hours. And then you turn it off. <laughs> until the next time you're ready for it to be on for six or eight hours. That's how you use a lava lamp correctly. <laughs> you have to have time for that lava, lava to heat up and get going. And then you don't leave it on forever. <laughs> like 12 to 16 hours max, and then turn it back off again. <laughs> In case you didn't know the rules of a lava lamp. I don't know if the rules are the same for a glitter lamp. I mean, it's a similar situation. Except with a glitter lamp, you don't have to wait for like lava to heat up. You don't have to wait for like the wax to heat up because it's just wax. Okay. Outfit of the episode. There was a point in this episode where Buffy was wearing, it was a very simple shirt. It was just a black deep V with bell sleeves top and her pants were not distracting. They might've just been like dark, colored jeans or something like that. That's the best I can give you for outfit of the episode because Anya was wearing this. The top was cute. It was like a, it was like a pink satin, like sort of twenties vintage looking shirt, but it was paired with super fucking low rise jeans. Again, awful, awful. Um, Donna was wearing just like something very not distracting. And by not distracting, I mean, like, didn't really make an impression on me. I think it was like a velour stripy jacket thing. And I don't know what was underneath it. 
And she's wearing like a nondescript sort of red top in the morning after when Xander does his speech. Yeah, I don't remember. One of the potentials kind of has interesting style. Like in this episode, she was wearing like either red sheer tights or red fishnets. And sometimes she wears like socks on her arms. She has an interesting style, but I don't know what her fucking name is. So I don't know. I guess I'll give outfit of the episode to Buffy just because she had that top that I liked. At one point, Willow had like a velvet top with some interesting beading on the collar, but whatever. I'll just give it to Buffy. It doesn't fucking matter at this point because all the outfits are terrible because it's 2003. Quote of the episode. I'm going to go with the uh, Andrew mushroom quote that Buffy made. He's not evil, but when he gets close to it, he picks up its flavor like a mushroom or something. (laughs) MVP of the episode, again, giving it to Dawn. She's gotten it like a record number of times this season so far. Um, Five by five. It's a really great episode about Dawn. It's pretty good. I'll give it a three and a half. Cool. All right. So I'll see you guys in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye.